Hello and welcome to From the Rookery Inn. My name is John and it's a way game. Colin's going to be going on his way uh, and I'm going to, well it's, it's Saturday morning at the moment and I'm going to speak to him in a minute before the game and we'll speak to him after the game. Let's f- figure out how, how Colin feels about it. Uh, but also we're going to be chatting on this podcast about the Golden Memories, uh, a project that's being run with the Premier League and Watford and the Trust at Watford uh, and speaking to uh, Hannah Foster who, who does that a bit later in the podcast. But let's give Colin a quick call. John Mooney. Hello, Colin. How are you? I'm very well. Whereabouts are you at the moment? I'm at Doncaster, I think. <laughs> what time do you leave? 10 o'clock. i got a 10 o'clock train. Yeah. Gets in at 12.50, so time for a bit of fun. Fun and games. Yes, always good in a, on an away day. So we, you were on your way to, to Watford against Newcastle. Been a, an all right place to visit of late. Oh, yes, definitely. One of the best away days of the season, I always think. Well, you see, that's a weird thing to say because everyone hates the stairs. I hated the stairs. Uh, well, that part <laughs> it's, of it. it's so I, long. That's well, there is a lift. <laughs> yeah, but it takes forever. <laughs> that takes forever. So, um, yeah, that part of it is is not good. But the city, city itself and the welcome you get and the yeah. banter with the uh, home fans. Who and we we always go to the Sharks Bar, which is at the bottom of the Sandman Hotel, which is right opposite the ground. And they give us a little sort of side room. But when you go to order the drinks, you know the thing about Geordies is they love their football. They love all football, and they don't really. Apart from Sunderland, they don't really have a grudge against anybody. And also because of the situation they're in currently with their owner, I think they've, they've received a lot of sympathy from other football fans. So it's all, they're always very warm and friendly and talk about the game. And if, if you win, they always say good luck and you, you were better than us. And, you know, they're just they're, they're proper football fans. And I, It's just a great part of it. It's a great part of England to visit, I think because it's a very exciting city and there's a lot going on and, you know, it's, yeah, it's really good. As football fans, they are in a very bad place um, and yeah. they, they are they are a much bigger football club than, than Watford. Um, but they're, they're sort of teetering in this place of, they should be able to do more, shouldn't they? Um, in terms of what they, what they, where they are in the league. Just because you've got 50,000 fans, really, the number of fans you have, I mean, we're a good example of the opposite of that. We've only got a core of about, 15,000 maybe and yet here we are people say oh we're punching above our weight but actually it's got much more to do with the ownership model because most of the funding now comes from from the TV and not not from gate receipts obviously if you if you're Tottenham you've got 70,000 you're going to make a lot of money but think that just because you've got 50,000 fans you should immediately assume that you should be winning the Premier League it's all about the ownership model these days and the and wise investment and in, in, in effect we're the opposite of Newcastle yeah, we are the pygmies. We're, we're the smallest club probably in the league. Not in terms of stadium size, obviously Bournemouth win that. But Bournemouth's a much bigger bigger town and they have a very wealthy owner. So we're the kind of opposite of Newcastle in the sense that we're doing better than we probably ought to be. We're probably a league above where we should be. But they feel they can't even enjoy beating Tottenham 1-0 because it's it doesn't give them any pleasure because they still want to get rid of Ashley and they want... They expect to be doing better and challenging for the top four, but in their current situation, that's very sad because as a football fan, you beat Spurs, you should be able to celebrate, but they haven't been able to. No, and they didn't do very well in the, in the League Cup either. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, two different sides of being a football fan this week for them, I suspect. But as Watford fans, yes. um, we aren't in a particularly great place uh, in terms of results of late. And of course, the cries on uh, social media are change, 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 change. Whole new 11. Everything's going to change. That's the way to get something better. Uh, and we did see a lot of change uh, in, the, in, the, in the week. 
And the only sort of massive cry from, from Jason particularly wasn't for big change. It was definitely for Mr. Yammat to, uh, to go in the back four uh, to make it a little bit more defensive. And that would be the only thing we sort of, we, we, you know, as a podcast, we sort of say we want to do. But can you see, I think this is a bit heavy, making more changes than just Yanmat? Yes, definitely. Oh, go on I've then. What are you, what are you thinking? Now. Sorry, John, I've got a bit echoey. I've had to sit in the loo because the train is very noisy. And it's <laughs> quiet and um, I definitely can think of changes. I think Star will start. And I think Welbeck will start. Because they're busy trying to catch up with pre-season training. Obviously, Star played in the final of the AFCOM and uh, Welbeck has been out for a very long time and they won't want to risk them, but I can see them starting. I would like to see, I would, what I would like to see is Jerry on the right, Star on the left, or vice versa, and Hughes in the middle and Welpeg up front, and then have a couple of players behind to help set the back four. I definitely agree with Jan, Matt. There's no doubt about that. I think there's a question mark over Dawson, possibly, but I suspect Javi will continue with that relationship with Cathcart and try and make that, that work. What, we, what I feel we've really been lacking uh, is anyone to protect the back four. We haven't played really with a holding midfielder. And last season, we kind of got away with it. We conceded a lot of goals last season, let's not forget, but we scored a lot of goals. And one of the reasons is that Capu and Decore, neither of them are a specialist at protecting the back four. They both kind of half do the job, or they kind of half do it together. Uh, and what we need is somebody really that can sit there. Uh, so I was, I was not spoken about this, but I was slightly surprised that they let Wilmot go off on a uh, season-long loan, because actually having had used him in that role, and he'd been quite successful in the Cup last year, uh, the Carabao Cup. So letting him go means that we our specialist, if you like, is <laughs> not with us. So I, I'm but you should say would... specialist. But is he a specialist? He hasn't got the Premier League experience. He has that no, he hasn't. ability. But when, he, when we played Spurs at the Stadium MK, he played in that position, yeah. right in front of the back four, and they couldn't get through us. It was Ooh. only when we made a substitution in the second half that they scored. What you're saying, Colin, is then we've all been getting het up about a new centre back, but actually what we needed was a holding midfielder. Yeah. I mean, okay. we haven't, we, we didn't play, we, neither the Corey or the, I don't think anyone would disagree that Capu and Decore are not holding midfielders. They are box-to-box midfielders and they have different strengths and different weaknesses. Decore is not having a great run of form at the moment. Uh, and I could maybe see him not starting, although I think that's quite a big shout for Happy. But Happy's neck is on the block, right? He loses today. The pressure on him is intense. We've got Arsenal and Man City and then Wolves after the break. So I, I think this is a moment to be brave and to be courageous. And I suspect that he will make some big decisions today. And I think, I think probably up front we'll see some changes. Whether or not he'll change that midfield, I think that's less likely. But I, for one, would like to see Queen come into that team alongside either Decore or Kapumi if I had to. But he, he, won't be, he won't be holding, though, Colin. Well, he, that, he has done that role. He has done that but role. But not in the same he sense, of, but in. not the same way Wilmot would, or you know, no, that, that no, sort of no, proper midfield no, that you wanted. He, the thing about Queen is he's, he's, he's got a lot of energy. <laughs> and one of the problems with our two current central midfielders is that they are not the most dynamic, as we know. And so I think that he, you could bring him in and that would, that would help. Sure. The problem is we're very predictable, John. We, we played those two in front of the back four for a whole season and we started again this season. And teams know that. And they put a third man in there and overrun us. And it's happened. Uh, and that's one of the reasons we can see so many goals because we're overrunning midfield. I think we've got to put another body in uh, in order to nullify that overrun. I mean, listen, we've, we've lost our first three games. We've only scored one goal and we've conceded eight. I mean, that, that needs to be addressed somewhere. 
So sticking with the status quo and saying, well, Kapu and Decore were good last year, that, that can't stand. You've got to make a change. You've got to say that's where we're vulnerable. They're being overrun in central midfield, and then they're getting in behind us and scoring goals, and we can't stop them. And so that seems to me that the engine room of the team is the bit that needs to be looked at. You can muck about with your left back or your right back, but in the end, it's the central midfield where you, where you win a new game. Well, we will see what happens uh, and <laughs> who he picks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what will be interesting though is everything you talked about there, uh, we, we talked about it as if it's the starting eleven. But actually, it will be interesting to see if, A, they are starting. That, that's yeah. of any of those players, Queener or Yanmat or Welbeck or Zar, if they start. But also how he plays them in terms of uh, coming on. Welbeck did play the full 90 minutes uh, on Tuesday. I know he's it's a, f- a couple of days rest at least. So we interested if he starts or, or what role all four of those men play yeah. in this game, um, especially because it's the last one before the international break. And that, yeah. for me, always means if you don't get it in now, it's going to be another two weeks before you get to see a player play and a player to get back into competitive mode. And, and the game against Newcastle is one of those games where not that you want to, you know, you don't not treating it like we treated the game against Coventry in the cup, but you've got to do and give players some sort of Premier League time to just get them mentally ready for, for whenever it is they might be they might be needed but we will see agree, agree uh, enjoy the, uh, the the bar we'll talk about uh, how it was up at Newcastle uh, later on and I'll call you after the game come on you horns come on you horns Colin good morning good morning you said you thought Harry had an opportunity to be brave to do something different and he certainly did that with the, the lineup we got at two o'clock. Uh, you know, massive changes. Uh, a back three or maybe back five uh, with uh, Yamat coming in, but also Kiko staying. Uh, he had uh, up front with Gray and, and Pereira up front. Uh, Delafoe to the bench. Um, and, and, and no Kapu uh, or Holobas, uh, Kapu for illness. So you saw that. Were you shocked, confused? Or happy? I was neither of those things, actually. I wasn't any of those things. I was just really fascinated by what someone does when they're under massive pressure. This could be, and still could be, in fact, have his last game as coach, although I think it's unlikely now. So in preparation for what might be his last ever game as manager of Watford, he decided to uh, make a a massive change to the formation because he has been doggedly uh, loyal to his 4-2-2-2 system. And he went to three at the back brought Cabaselli in and put him between Dawson and Cathcart. And then he, he dropped Holobas, which I suspect was nothing to... They called it... What was it? Technical reasons? Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know what that means. <laughs> I think he was just dropped, and I suspect something's gone on there between them. You know, Holobas is a difficult character to manage. Everyone knows that. But, you know, he is a very competitive player. But obviously there was something here. and he brought, So he brought on Kiko and played him on the left. I think, is that right? Or did he play Yamat on the left? I couldn't, I couldn't really see from where I was standing. Either way, it was really a 3-5-2. And he did the thing that I wanted him to do, as I said before the game, which is to bring an extra man into central midfield. So we had Cleverly, Decore and Hughes playing centrally. And then Pereira and Gray up front. But Pereira wasn't really playing as a second striker. He was playing in his normal position on the sort of wide-ish left. So 
So that was slightly odd. But it was good to have the, the, the resilience of the extra bodies in midfield. And it did work. I mean, they did struggle to break us down. We didn't concede a goal to the 41st minute, which I think is the latest this season, apart from the commentary game, that we've conceded a goal. I think we've conceded a goal earlier than that in all the other games. So it worked in that sense. We still looked very wobbly defensively. They did cut us open a couple of times. But um, Cleverly is, was solid and did, did nothing wrong, nothing exciting or inspirational. Decore looks such a long way off his best uh, and was eventually substituted. And Hughes sat in the middle, which is where everyone knows he should play. I mean, everyone who knows anything about knows that Will Hughes should play in the middle, right, in the, in the number 10 role. And he did. And he was, I thought he was, he looked like the best player on the pitch for most of the first 65 minutes or 70 minutes. Scored the goal, obviously, which is in, a little bit lucky. And it was very, very quick. It was lucky in the sense that, that it fell to him. Had you sat in your chair, um, put your beer down before uh, I was Well, we were standing up. We were up there. We were up. We, we, we climbed the 14 flights oh, of yes. stairs plus the extra flight of stairs to get to your seat. <laughs> You're watching the game from Scotland. Um, and yeah, so it, it, it all happened. We started brightly and, and we, we cleverly came onto a ball and he hit it really hard and it rebounded off the central defenders and just fell to Hughes, who very calmly stuck it away and was, and was clearly onside when the ball struck by Kevin so there was no there was no question of VAR or anything like that and then the game sort of settled down and and we did you know it's difficult it was it was interesting to watch there was a lot of mistakes from both teams these are two teams that I feel are currently in a relegation sort of area but we've if you look at us we've got players like Delafeo to come to come good we've got Welbeck we've got so they haven't really got players like that I think Newcastle were really not were not very good and they weren't very ambitious. And I'll explain about that when we talk about the second half. But um, they started to come into the game more. We started to backtrack a little bit. We're away from home. We're one nil up. That's perfectly normal that that would happen. We've got this extra men at the back and in midfield. So we feel like we can protect our, our lead. And unfortunately, towards the end of the first half, they got a chance, which should have been ruled out under the new rules. But for some reason, wasn't because it rolled down the arm of a striker who challenged for the ball, which means if there's any form of handball in the build-up to a goal as we know from previous weeks uh it should be ruled out and for some reason VAR didn't spot it but it was absolutely clear on match of the day that it hit his arm yeah and even Adam Leventhal reported uh that he'd spoken to somebody and it and it it should have been <laughs> we need VAR for the VAR job <laughs> that's what we need so that was unfortunate and actually I knew there was something wrong about that goal when it went in and I thought there's something wrong about that but it wasn't ruled out and they didn't I don't they didn't appear to check it I mean, there was no stop. Uh, the referee walked back towards the centre circle. There was no hand to the ear thing. There was no checking. It was just given. And I think that was a, that was a shame. We didn't really deserve that. I mean, isn't that what VAR's for? They changed the rules. They are checked, but I, I think it was missed from what I sort of understand. But again, I don't know the details of it. I was in the room uh, and I haven't seen any reports. No, but it yeah. must have been missed. I mean, the one was it Man City who had one, mm. and, and I mean, it barely touched the elbow, but that was ruled out. So you sort of think, well, where's the consistency? If it's a, it's a stupid rule anyway, frankly, because that was a goal. But under the new rules, it shouldn't have been a goal. So how come it was a goal anyway? That that doesn't really matter. Uh, and so one all half time. Felt satisfied. People were very upset. There was a lot of there was a lot of moaning in the in the away fans saying how awful we were. I mean, we did give the ball away an unbelievable amount of times with speculative. Uh, balls upfield, poor, poor, poor passing, you know, inaccurate passing, giving the ball away, not reading each other. But then we were playing a new system and there were new bodies on the pitch. And this was not how we, you know, it doesn't, you can't just change the system, change the personnel and expect us to be like a thoroughbred racehorse. There's obviously going to be 
teething issues where you, where you're a person isn't where you think that person's going to be because they've probably trained this system they've worked this system since tuesday but that's not very long to bed it in and, and they, we gave the ball away a lot which was a shame the second half came about and you were wondering where Watford would go. Where would Havi go with this? Um, you know, if we'd been 1-0, yeah. you would have think, hey, he's going to be Brighton. Yeah, maybe sit back. Like you said, he's got the bodies in the right places to, to not worry about it. But it was 1-1. How did Watford sort of treat that second half? Well, it was a half of two halves, John. I mean, to, to use the kind of half of a footballing cliche, in that uh, Newcastle came out with an ambition to win the game and try to to break us down, try to score. We were fairly resolute at the back, um, although they did create a couple of chances from memory. Ben Foster made a very good save, sort of halfway out of his box, around the penalty area with both hands, and it, it just crept over the over the crossbar uh, and saved us. Gave away a few corners, but they they weren't they, they didn't really create like there was one fantastic block, and I think it was Cabaselli, where they looked you know certain to score, and he suddenly appeared and blocked it. So they had a couple of chances, a couple of half chances, you might say. And then what was interesting was I think that Newcastle felt that we would make defensive substitutions. And so they sort of kept, they kept trying, they, they seemed to be more ambitious for the first 20, 25 minutes of the second half than we were being. And then Javi decided to make some changes. And I think most people expected to see Welbeck and Saar for Gray and Pereira. Now, why would that be? Would that be because it would feel to be more... It, they would be the two new players, one who's played a lot of football, isn't match fit, never played in the Premier League uh, any extensive amount of time. Uh, one player who's been incredibly injured but incredibly experienced in the Premier League. Why would you, why did you feel... that? Why did Watford fans feel those were the two men <laughs> who were going to be the answer and go and win the game? Did they think they, just, they were thirsty? Well, for the reasons you've just described. I mean... The, you spend 30 million quid on a player, you know, the fans want to see him play. But as you say, he played in the AFCON final about five, six weeks ago. He's had no pre-season, no rest really. And so, uh, as my friend next to me said, well, you don't want to bring on your 30 million pound new signing and he pulls his hamstring five minutes after he's come on. He's out for six weeks. So maybe it's not a sensible thing to do. But there was a sense that his pace could hurt Newcastle and that Welbeck's experience up front um, might, be, might be a good thing. Pereira had done literally nothing. He had done really nothing at all during the whole game and is physically even less willing to get involved nowadays. He doesn't really track back. He doesn't do his defensive work in the way that he did when he first joined us. He doesn't go up for anything. He literally won't leave the ground. And it, it is starting to annoy me a little bit because he's become a champagne player and we, 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 we're in, we have only got one point. So I don't understand how he's complete loyalty to him because... Anyone could see yesterday that he wasn't really doing anything. Anyway, however, so the changes were made. He took Hughes off, which, which, which caused somewhat for fans to boo. Okay, and on come Chalabar and Isaac's success, which was surprising. Success comes on, and there is a lot of booing, which causes quite a lot of arguing amongst away fans, because people my age don't like it when, when Watford fans boo their players, or their manager particularly, particularly when we're one all the way from home. That caused a bit of... Um, there's a bit, a bit of shouting and why are you booing your players and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, Isaac came on and he actually did really, really well. He did exactly what he did. And if you remember going back to last season, Andre on his own up front, and he was on his own up front because Pereira was not anywhere near him really, doesn't really work because he can't really hold the ball up and you can't get the ball into him in a way where he can hold the ball up. 
as soon as Isaac came on, in the way that we played at Wolves last season away from home, when he played on his own up front, everyone was surprised. He had Pereira, Hughes and Delefeo around him. He did exactly the same job he did there. As soon as he came onto the pitch, he held the ball up. He held the ball up in dangerous areas and he drew players into the game. And we started suddenly, as I said, the second half was a half or two halves. We suddenly started to look more ambitious than Newcastle. And they were, they were scared of success. There was no question. They were like, oh, he's, made a, he's, made a, he's brought this big lad on. And he's, now, they're, now we're playing with two up front. They didn't quite know what to do. And they retreated. And suddenly we looked dangerous. We looked like we could score, like we could win the, win the game. And the, and the away fans suddenly got a lot more interested in the game that had looked like it was petering out. Suddenly it was like, oh, we're on the attack again. So then about five or six or eight minutes later, he brought uh, Delefeo on for Andre Gray. And then Newcastle really looked scared. I mean, they really went into their shell. And they weren't even trying to get out of their half really anymore. They were, they, it, it complete, the game in the second half completely switched. And unfortunately, we weren't able to get the, the, the late winner that, we, that we've that we done so often. When you uh, say it was only eight minutes later, Colin, it was actually on the 82nd, 82nd minute. Was it? So it was not yeah. even with 10 minutes, well, it technically was 10 minutes to go with some added time. But yeah. it, do you think it, it could have late, been earlier? It? Should it have been well, earlier? Well, let, let, let's go back to the beginning and, and contextualise the whole match. This could have been Javi's last ever game for Watford. If we lost, he would be out of a job. I think everyone's agreed about that. And uh, because of the international break and time to bed in a new person, blah, 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 blah. But he, so he's fighting for his job and the players are clearly fighting for him. There's no question that he has lost the dressing room or that they don't believe in him. They were playing absolutely, or some of, most of them were playing at absolutely 100%. And so there he is with 10 minutes to go thinking, well, it would be great if we could win, but I really, really don't want to lose because if I lose, I'm gone. I do think that that would go through a manager's mind. I can't believe that it wouldn't. And um, despite the long contract and all of that sort of stuff, I still think that you think he's thinking, I've got to get something from this game. Okay, those substitutions, I don't know when the first ones were, 75 minutes, and then the second, and then Jerry came on at 82 minutes. It's a bit of a pun, like we've got 10, 10, 12 minutes for him to see if he can get a goal, but we're not really putting the team, we're not putting ourselves at risk by going sort of hell for leather. Um, so maybe there's a common sense there, but you know, again, quite a lot of moaning from the fans about late substitutions, not giving them a chance to really have an influence on the game, uh, as you as you've just sort of intimated, and and that is one of Javi's weaknesses. I think he does wait too long to make changes, but we come away from Newcastle with a point, and for for me, you know, it was it was a it wasn't as good a performance as we've had previously this season in many ways, but we got the thing we needed, which was a point on the board. And uh, it's unfortunate we conceded that goal because it shouldn't have, shouldn't have been a goal. If that one hadn't gone in, they probably would, could easily have scored another goal maybe later. You know, it's, it's the, a match is very dependent on what the score is. You know, if it's 1-0 at half time, they come out with a different attitude perhaps than they do when it's one all. And then we make changes and then they change their attitude. And they, they definitely went into their shell. I think, they're, I think Newcastle will certainly be in the mix at the, in the bottom six because uh, they just didn't seem to really have much to offer at home against a team that's got no points. They really should have, you know, been very confident that they were going to beat us and they never really seemed like they were. And I think we'll improve because I think Saar and Welbeck uh, and will make a difference. And it was good to see some, some, some players get proper football under their belt. Cleverly, for instance, actually played pretty well. He faded a little bit, but his job was really to, to clog up midfield. He wasn't to get forward. It was to make sure that we were that our backline was more protected. Our backline is not good. There's no getting away from it. They cut through us a couple of times and better teams would have scored goals against us and we would have lost 3-1. 
So that is a real problem for us. And I don't really know how you solve that problem. I really don't. I really, really don't. And Cabaselli hasn't played much. Playing in a three, he, he looked a little bit like he didn't quite know what he was doing at times and where he was supposed to be positionally. So that is a massive worry. It's a massive worry, our defence. It really is. And I don't think Ben Foster is at his best either, frankly. I mean, he made a couple of decent saves. And as I say, Cabaselli made a really good block. But we just don't look confident uh, with a back four or a back five or a back six, if you include the keeper. We just That is a weakness for us. And I don't really know how we're going to solve that because we haven't got the personnel at the club to solve it. We, we have to buy someone and we can't until January. That's a worry for me. But it was good to see Chalabar come on. He played on Tuesday, came back on, played another 15 or so minutes. Looked, looked pretty good. First touch was, was um, <laughs> gave the ball away. But after that, he, he actually was a, a, one of the architects of the change in the flow of play in the second half. So he, he, he was helping get the ball forward. He was, he was being aggressive. Uh, and, and so I'd like to see more of him. I, I, was, I was sad that Queener wasn't on the bench because I, I think he's, he's an exciting young player. Uh, other teams play their exciting young players, like Leicester and with uh, Madison and Chelsea are playing Mount. And I'd like to see our young players playing. It was an all right performance. It settled my nerves a little bit. I thought we can improve from here. We've got players on the bench with a way better bench than theirs. We had Delafay, Saar, Welbeck. You know, we had good players on uh, on Chalabar on that bench. And you know, and so you think, well, okay, so there's 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 a squad that we can draw from. If players dip in form, there are other players that can come in and show what they can do and hopefully we can we can take this point it's unfortunate we've got to play Arsenal City and then Wolves but those are good challenges we, we could get we can do something against Arsenal we can certainly do something against Wolves I don't hold that much hope for our trip to the Etihad but you know that it, it was a sign that that we've learned that we you can't play like we did the first three games you will get beat you've got to make a change you've got to be defensively more sturdy and we certainly were that but probably against a team that will score very few goals this season. So, you know, it's hard to, to read. We were away from home. We got a point a few, a couple of seasons ago. We'd have been very happy with that. But at the moment, because we had no points, it seems like a missed opportunity or it wasn't a great performance. Blah, blah, blah. But actually, you know, we, we should be calm, take the point and move on. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans from the rookery end. Mike's surname is Parkin. Uh, he has a son called Arlo. And, well, let's find out what Arlo thinks should happen after this Newcastle United draw. In our feature, Michael Parkinson. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson. It's Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Good. Uh, we're off to the cinema tonight. We're going to the Grove. What are we going to go and see? E.T. So we're off to the movies. But which Watford player... Do you think is most like a film star would be the best film star and why? I think Welbeck because he's always getting in, injured, but he can he he would have to go in a grown up film because it would be an army one because he's always getting injured and shot and stuff. So he'd be like a stuntman. It's an international break after the Newcastle game. You're back at school, but the Watford team have got some time off. What should they be focusing on during that time off? Passing down the wing and shooting because. Delafeu, everyone is shouting, shout! So, especially Delafeu, listen to this, shoot when you have the ball. There we go, there's your homework, lads. Passing and shooting, especially for you, Gerard Delafeu and Danny Welbeck, the stuntman. Arlo, thank you so much for joining us. Bye-bye. See you next time.
A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. This is from the rookery end. Now, I'm always Mr. Positive. Uh, well, I try to be at least uh, and find the good uh, that goes on around Watford Club. Uh, joined by Mike. Now, Mike, how are you feeling after the, the draw? Uh, we've got a point now uh, away at Newcastle. I think it's fair to say that so far this season, things haven't gone exactly to plan on the pitch. It hasn't been the, the start we've wanted. But off the pitch, Watford continue to, to get things right. And I feel really passionately about these sort of initiatives. I think it's important that we remember football clubs are more than just a football match. They're more than just what happens on a Saturday afternoon or a Tuesday evening. They're about providing something for us all to cling on to something to get something extra out of in our lives and that's why I think the extra stuff that Watford get involved in is is super important and the latest initiative they've launched is something called Golden Memories those of you at the West Ham game may well have heard the interview uh, at half time regarding this this new initiative if you weren't there you're about to find out a little bit more about it but basically it's a it's a program that's being run by the club to help people with dementia and it does that by providing little triggers and memories that are associated to to Watford so it might be I think meeting old players seeing kits seeing hearing music or hearing commentary anything that's related to to Watford I think that they've been able to lay their hands on to help people with with low to moderate dementia and you know those of us who know anyone or know anything about that disease know how terrible and debilitating it is and how difficult it is not just for the person suffering but also families so for Watford to recognise that and recognise the importance that that football plays in a lot of people's lives and therefore the, the help that, that a football club might be able to provide is is absolutely magnificent. And I think it serves us all well to think of people who are suffering, obviously, but also to remember that there is more to, more to a, a football club than the team, than just what happens on a Saturday afternoon or on a Tuesday evening. It really is a community tool it's something that that we can all hang our hat on it's something we can all rally round and the great thing is that Watford are showing they can rally round the community as well we're a Premier League football club there's lots going on um, but they've still got those community roots we talk about it a lot and I absolutely love the fact that um, that Watford are still launching these initiatives they're finding new ways to reach out to the community and help their supporters and and families of supporters and people who are who are local to Watford who have any sort of affinity to to the club so this for me stuff like this is hugely hugely important it makes me proud as to, to be a Watford fan and, and hopefully it does does you too it should do because you know people often talk about how important football is well this is a really good example of why and long may Watford continue to to launch initiatives like it the project is being led by Hannah Foster and I caught up with her on the phone earlier in the week Golden Memories is a reminiscence program for people with low to moderate dementia who are interested in the history of Watford Football Club. So we're being funded by the Premier League and we're working closely with our partners, Watford Museum and also University of Hertfordshire. We had our first taster session last week and we also had the official opening by the Mayor this week, which were a great success. Sessions are run in uh, the sensory room, which overlooks the stadium. It's a fantastic space. Yeah, what, what happened in those sessions? The sessions are, are themed, so we're working closely with Watford Museum because they've got an extensive range of Watford Football Club memorabilia. And they're themed sessions on 
the highs and lows of Watford Football Club over the years, specials on dream partnership of Graham Taylor and Elton John. We're looking at stadium changes, uh, famous teams, famous matches, FA Cup finals, how the shirts and badges have changed over the years from blue to gold, and also special visits from some former players and hopefully some current players. And Harry the Hornet will be popping in as well. I <laughs> <laughs> can't get away from Harry. <laughs> and also social activities as well. So it's kind of about creating almost a Watford cafe space where people can sit, have a tea and coffee and cake and reminisce over their experiences of Watford Football Club. Um, and also we'll be doing some exercise as well because it's so important to keep fit. So we'll be doing chair exercises. Also upstairs in the Sky Lounge, we've got that space as well, which we're using for respite for carers. So it's also the programme is aimed at the carers as well because there's a huge need you know, to support carers in the community and link them up with other with other groups. So networking is really key. In terms of the actual participants, which we, we call guests, about giving them an hospitality experience of what the football club overlooking the stadium reminiscing about their memories doing some exercise and also creating their own scrapbooks their own memory books graham taylor created his scrapbooks over the years which we're going to be looking at this week with with rita so rita taylor is going to be kindly coming in and spending the morning with us which is really exciting so we'll be creating our own memory books i mean even this week we had luther blissett come in and he was taking photos and signing their scrapbooks which is really exciting why particularly doing it in this way because it's it's to sort of help people who are suffering with is it early form dementias in particular early to moderate dementia um, that's who we're aiming at. So you can still live a very active life with dementia in the early stages and up to moderate, really. Is it easy to sort of say what dementia is to somebody? So the best way to describe dementia is the bookshelf model. And if you can imagine two bookcases, so one bookcase would hold your emotional memory and one bookcase would hold your factual memory. So for a person with dementia, slowly the books on the factual memory side start to fall away. Whereas on the emotional memory bookcase, it remains intact. So for a person with dementia, their emotions are heightened. So that's what's great about the program that we're going to be doing. So by bringing them back into the stadium, they can relive their memories and we can give them a celebration of Watford Football Club. So your most recent memories would go would go quickly if you see what I'm saying like fact, the factual side but you can still have the emotion so say even further down the line someone who's got severe dementia and you play a certain music then they could be crying you know the emotions would come out they'd still know it's not like it's all gone it's not like you've gone blank as it were the emotions are just there but they can't communicate they can't express it they can't talk about how they're feeling the feelings do stay that's what's hard so it's really important in terms of touch in a way in terms of emotion you know when, when people are in care as well not to these people just sitting there in chairs all day you know it's so important to interact and it's in terms of keeping them mentally active physically active and also in terms of interaction by communicating with people socially you can you can't obviously cure dementia but you can support people and help them network and create more friendships as well so we just feel it's really important in terms of reminiscing um, this will really help people and we're doing actually a study on this so working with the university of hertfordshire for our second program which starts in october we've got danny buckley coming and he's doing his thesis all about this about 
how we can support people with dementia and if we can, what we can do really in terms of reminiscing and with sporting memories, what effects it will actually have on the participants in terms of their daily week ahead, whether they're looking forward to coming back, whether they can look back and learn more or not. So it will be interesting to see the outcomes really. So it's all about the impact at the end of the day that we can have on this group of people. At the moment, there are 850,000 people living with dementia in the UK, and this number is is rising. By 2025, there will be 1 million people living with dementia in the UK. And in Watford alone, there's 1,000 people. It's really just reaching out to this community. And I've been working really closely with all the other groups and clinics, memory clinics, uh, dementia cafes, that are already established in, in the Watford area. And it's really about coming together, really, and supporting each other to provide as many, many groups as possible, really, because for carers, they can, it can be very, very isolating. So it's good to be able to reach out and provide more. So it's incredible that Watford Football Club are doing this. And how long will this go on for? This is a three-year programme. So we have four programmes during a year, but this will also continue into the community. So we are aiming to set up a group at the Meriden afterwards. People do a 12-week programme or an 18-week programme and we're seeing which one works better. And so with the help of Danny Buckley, the student from the University of Hertfordshire. So we're just trying to determine which model works best really. And then, yeah, they'll be going out into a community group which I'll be setting up in the new year. Uh, And then our next two sessions will start in March next year and then it will continue. But we're also aiming to set up a group for older fans who do have capacity and don't have dementia as well. In the media suite, we're aiming to do that as well in a year's time so that people can reminisce about their memories who still have capacity as well because we want to be able to reach out to our fans, really. That's another project as part of the project. Brilliant. Is there anything else you want to mention? Is there anything else I want to mention? Um, Just how important it is. I don't know if you've seen in the news lately, Barbara Windsor and her husband Scott Mitchell saying how 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 there isn't enough support for carers who are supporting family members with dementia so I just feel that we do support people with dementia it's growing all the time people are obviously living longer and sadly people are also getting dementia younger and in terms of support we're seeing that um, carers do feel very isolated so I think it's I think it's phenomenal that the club are doing this because they are the heart of the community really Watford Football Club so I do think the more we can do and the more we can work with other existing groups um, that are already established um, and we're working closely with the HPFT as well with the Harbinger NHS partnership and by working with them hopefully um, we're getting more and more referrals as well which is which is which is so important and they're really behind us as well. If there are fans who either want to help or, or even get involved how how could how could that work so they can contact me so they can email me hannah.foster at watfordfc.com so they can email me and I'll, I'll give them a call and they can come in in terms of have a little chat if they're interested in volunteering uh, we've got a group of volunteers at the moment but that is that is growing because we need as many as possible because in terms of support we need at least seven per session really um, because what we want to be able to do is sit down in groups and chat and try and bring out people's experiences and reminisce. So the more people, the better, really. And and obviously, um, people who've got their own interest in Watford, then they can share their memories and, and trigger more memories from, from our guests.
We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! Thank you very much to Hannah there for talking about the Golden Memories uh, project there to help with uh, Watt fans, but also people in Watford uh, with uh, any uh, dementia uh, that they are starting to suffer from. So we are going for a two-week break. Well, the players are. Not for too long, especially Arlo. He, he clearly early on, he knew exactly what he wanted them to work on. Uh, and we'll see, do we get a different Watford team back uh, after the break? We've got some big games, some Arsenal, some Man City, Wolves. Big for lots of different reasons. And we will see uh, how this new team is faring up. Do we see the new boys, Saar and Welbeck, be fully fit and be part of our starting eleven, Or could we see an even braver Javi doing something even more surprising than we could ever have imagined? Thank you very much to Hannah again. Thank you very much to Colin. Thank you very much to Mike. And thank you for listening to From the Recruit End. Do tell your friends uh, we are podcasts what you can listen to on fromtherecruitend.com uh, and there's all the links to everywhere you need to go to to listen to this podcast. We haven't had time to have any in, but if you are wanting to be the end of the podcast and shout, come on you horns, uh, please get involved and uh, get out your memo app on your iPhone, record yourself shouting, or you and maybe a couple of mates uh, shouting, come on you horns, uh, and we'll stick them into a podcast at the end. But for now, I shall do it. Come on you horns!